You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome to the Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Opperson, your humble and obedient host, joined by Benjamin Solzer, engineer extraordinaire. We still call him that, even though he engineers absolutely nothing. Has no degree in engineering. <laughs> does nothing that could remotely be called engineering for the show. <laughs> I, or anything else in his life. I, uh, I engineer things all the time, Nathan. Do you? Like, yeah. You his engineer a smile for your wife. Yeah, that's right. His wife's My sadness wife's is that what you? Oh, his wife's happy. We both right. went the same direction. Hey Ben, introduce our third person, if you would. Uh, it would be Jake Mensel. Hey. It would be, and it is. <laughs> so see it how would I did be that? me if there were a third person in the room. <laughs> there I'm is. just the third guy. <laughs> is that third what I called you? Well, Ben, why is Jake important? Why do we save him in the special seat of honor, the last? Man, why does Jake get that? Because he is the pastor on this show. Yeah. Yeah. And guys, today we, we are talking about a topic. Indeed. We are talking about a topic. That's right. We're talking <laughs> about a topic. And it is an interesting topic. It's a topic that I think we've been circling around since we started Sound of Sanity. But we've always said, eh, we shouldn't do that because what would we say about that? But on the other hand, it sure seems to come up a lot. And the it, the eponymous it, is a he, actually. His name is Joel Osteen. You know, I'm not sure I would describe us as having been circling around Joel Osteen for the last couple, year or two, but... I don't know. Okay, so here's the thing. Ever since we did our Babylon B episode, which yep. was like episode five or something mm-hmm. like that... What we have done is handcuff our ability to deal with anybody that might be construed as an easy target. Right. Anybody that the B takes on... But sometimes is it, now too low of a target for us, right? Because, because we got to be consistent. We are sophisticated guys. Yeah, we got to prove that we're. We only go after go after difficult targets. Yeah, we don't just go after the Joel Osteens. Who, let's face it, most of our listeners probably don't think of Joel Osteen as a great guy. So it seems like he's obviously bad, right? Like most of our listeners probably not really struggling with falling into the Joel Osteen trap. In fact, that was the entire point of the Babylon B episode is and and we actually within the last month went to the Babylon B website found that they are still pummeling old Joel Osteen you go to like their yep. celebrity category or whichever category it is and you get article after article after article mocking just focused on Joel Osteen yeah yeah and it is it's it's pretty lame but did you guys see this one Joel Osteen and Ben Hinn to speak at first annual Heresy con. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Nailed it. I take back everything I've ever said about the Babylon Bee. That was nice. If I ever said anything nice about it, I take it back. Um, oh boy, at Heresy Con. Okay. Bad. <laughs> People like Sorry the Babylon Bee. You know what? Let's just roll our sketch. <laughs> We've got a sketch about this. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> loaded with vegetables. More like loaded with bullets. Mm-mm, good. More like mm-mm, bullets. 40% less cartridge fat. More like 40% more bullets. 500 rounds of fully metal case bullets. 
More like! Hey, chip, 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 chip. Hold it right there. Oh, uh, hi, Lance. Chip, what in tarnation? Why, why are you shooting that box of bullets? Why, well, why, why does anyone shoot a box of bullets, Lance? <laughs> oh, well, as long as you were doing it for the usual reasons, Chip. I was doing it because I ran out of cans. Okay, so you're just... You're shooting all these cans, huh? Well, now, Lance, there's some people who might say I'm not shooting all these cans. Idiots! Because <laughs> I am! <laughs> okay, but why are you shooting the cans, Chip? Let me answer that question with a question, Lance. And uh, Hang on right there, Chip, because anytime you say you're going to answer my question with a question, your question never really answers my question, now does it, Chip? I'm real sorry about that, Lance. No, you're not, Chip. Anyhow, this question's gonna be on topic, right, Chip? Sure will, Lance. It's gonna be pertinent to what we're actually, in fact, discussing, right, Chip? I can guarantee it, Lance. And it's gonna effectively answer the question that I first posed to you, Chip. Cross my heart and hope to die, Lance. <sighs> okay, Chip, go ahead. Do you believe in mummies, Lance? Dang it all, Chip! Beware! Beware the bandaged Egyptian menace! Chip, did you take your brain pills today? I'll be danged before I give that information to a giant talking rabbit. Oh, Chip, just... Give me your guns right now, Chip, before you- Try and take them, Hoppy. It's me, Chip. It's Lance. And why does your breath smell like carrots, Lance? Oh, for Pete's sake, Chip. You really think a giant talking rabbit would try to get the better of a man with a gun? I've seen them cartoons, same as you, Rabbit. Rabbits don't watch cartoons, Chip. Why is that, Rabbit? Too busy watching the evening news? Rabbits don't watch TV, Chip. Too good for TV, huh? To sit around with their rabbit books? Smoking the rabbit pipes? Rabbits don't engage in any consumption of mass media given that they are a common woodland mammal in the family Laproridae and lack the cognitive ability to appreciate any such art or higher level of communication, Chip! Well, why didn't you say so, Lance? Chip, maybe, um, well, this might be a good time to just hand your guns over, you know, because sometimes I think you're just a little too free with your pistols. Nonsense, Lance! Say, you look like a man in need of a haircut. No, 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 no. No, Chip, Chip, my barber cuts my hair just fine. Shoot yourself. I mean, suit yourself. Anyway, Chip, you never told me why you're just shooting at a bunch of soup cans. Well, Lance, do you know my feelings on soups, stews, chowders, and other liquid dishes typically made by boiling meat, fish, and vegetables in stock and or water? Uh, you, you don't like them? Well, no, I, I love them. But I hate cans! Let the soup go, you reprobate cylinders! Blast that stupid Second Amendment. You need something blasted, Lance? No, Chip, no, no. I noticed your boy is having some trouble with pimples. No, no, Chip. They make stuff to get rid of pimples, Well, Chip. sure, Lance, but flamethrowers ain't that easy to come by. I, I just thought no, that I could... No, Chip, don't think. Just stop thinking, would you, Chip? Only one way to do that. Goodbye, cruel world. Chip, no! And hello to a happier world where I'm distracting myself by shooting my gun into the broad side of this barn. Chip, you sure you want to shoot up your own barn like that? Nobody ever goes in there, Lance, except me and the people I love. All the time. Um, okay, well, um, okay, Chip, Chip, you, you don't want to spend your time shooting at such an easy target now, do you? Yeah, it seemed evident from my actions that I do in fact want to do that, don't it, Lance? Actually, it can be very satisfying destroying an easy target. Well, okay, I, I admit that that's so, Chip, but, well, some fellas, all they do is go after easy targets and... You don't want to be like them. Did you have someone in particular in mind, Lance? Well, I don't know. You, you ever heard of the Babylon Bee? Oh, no. I knew they had a whore, but now you're telling me they got a bee? No, Chip. It's it's a satirical Christian news site, kind of ripping off the onion. Ripping off the onion? Just like me, when I order a burger at McDonald's and forget to tell them not to give me onions. No, yeah, okay, yeah, just like that, Chip. And this Babylon Bee goes after easy targets, Lance? 
Afraid so, Chip. Well, I don't want to be like no winged honeysucker for Babylon. Sometimes they can be funny. I shot a bee one time. See, a bee is actually a good target. I don't know, Lance. Some people might think you're being a bit of a jerk going after an innocent little bee that people enjoy. Can't win them all, Chip. True words never been spoken, Lance. Well, no more easy targets for me. You win this round, Cans. So, Chip, you, you really shot a bee right out of the air once? Yeah. You're, you're a marksman for the ages, man. Oh, I, I ain't nothing special, Lance. Whoops. Why are you firing your gun in the air, Chip? Yeah, it's just shooting a flea, Lance. But like I said, I ain't nothing special. I missed. Uh, w- w- what flea, Chip? The one on that jet engine, Lance. What what jet engine, Chip? That one, Lance. Chip! And we're back. Yay. <laughs> hey, that was a pretty funny sketch. Chip was going after those easy targets there. <laughs> It made fun of the fact that Joel Osteen is an easy target and that the Babylon Bee goes after such easy targets. Now, here's the thing, though. There are a lot of people that really It like... also makes fun of the fact that if you go down, if you go for really difficult, obscure targets, you end up taking down jetliners. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. We may or may yeah. not have taken down the jetliner that is Narnia on the Book of England. <laughs> <laughs> Experienced a lot of collateral damage. <laughs> No, uh, we didn't want to take down the jetliner. The, the, the Narnia jetliner is a fine jetliner, folks. Here's the thing. But I, that flea, C.S. Lewis. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, we like C.S. Lewis. We like Narnia. We like everything. We just have some criticisms. Okay, here's the thing. So, Joel Osteen, he is kind of an easy target. Probably most of the people that are listeners, that I, that you guys can think of, that like Joel Osteen in our lives are people either who are so checked out of being religious that they just need a little religious. They want a little spiritual pick-me-up, a little spiritual cover for their lives. They want to feel like good, normal... They want to feel like good American Christians. Right, and that might be the higher class. I think also there's a stereotype, but, you know, like, we all kind of have that... I do, you know, like the trailer trash ant kind of person in our life who's watching soap operas and Joel Osteen. In my life, it's the extremes. Right. It is the insanely wealthy people who just want, you know, a little bit of positive self-talk, self-help. Um, Norman Vincent Peale would do basically the same job for them, and they may not the, even be unaware of that fact. But they like level. they like the religious veneer of it. They like to be able to think of themselves as good American Christians, whether they're Texans or they're Hoosiers, you know, Midwesterners or whatever. They're too busy for church but they're not too busy to occasionally get a little spiritual pick-me-up that makes them feel like... And then there's the opposite end of that. It's just the we live in poverty and, and squalor, but we want to feel good about our lives and have a little bit of hopeful yeah, optimism. We, we, We're going to flip on Joel Osteen on a Sunday morning for 20 minutes and... In between watching Oprah and all these other whatever things. else we're gonna do i don't know maybe open to people is i guess oprah is still shit a thing but she has her own station and i don't have access to it but whatever it is that those people watch ellen good morning america kind of oh. but joel osteen is like the sacrament right like the communication of grace the thing about joel osteen that i was i don't want to say i admired it but the thing that was savvy about him that, that i discovered in researching this episode is He's actually much better as play at playing across that broad spectrum that we're talking about and playing for both conservatives and liberals in a way that I think somebody like Benny Hen, for example, who I grew up with. Benny Hen's so crazy, you know, he, well, has, he Hen- has all that jewelry and he's talking about the seventh heaven and he's doing all this extreme charismatic 
kind of stuff. Well, that, it's the Nigerian prince thing that you... I don't know if it's you that talks about this or that brings this Yes, up. yes. But it is it is the difference between the two in my mind. So the, the concept is the whole idea of the Nigerian prince scam is that it is so absurd. It allows the marks to become self-selecting. Right, if people don't know what we're talking about, for some reason, the Nigerian prince is the email that you get from the Nigerian prince who says, I just need $1,000 so that I can then transfer, come to America and transfer my millions of dollars and, and share them with you. And it's a famous gambit, you know, it's a famous bit of spam mail that we've all seen, probably a lot of listeners. I, I'm probably talking down to all our listeners by even explaining this because we all... I think you probably are, but we that's all okay. know We all know the Nigerian prince. Yeah. And so the Part- idea is, why would a scammer choose to still pose as a Nigerian prince when, when everybody, everybody knows. knows that that is just such a worn out stupid trope. Why not even be an Arabian prince or a Chinese prince, but they keep doing Nigerian, Nigerian prince and it's actually smart of them to do it because what you don't want in the scam business is a false positive that wastes a lot of time. You don't want to get someone on the hook, keep them on the hook and then realize they're actually too smart and they pull out at the last second. What you want is to get rid of all the people that are too smart and to only keep the people that are dumb enough to give somebody random on the internet a thousand bucks. Right. So the Nigerian prince is perfect for that because it's so stupid and so obviously a scam that only really dumb people who really want to be taken in by that scam, who really want to make money quick, who really are willing to fork over a thousand dollars in order on the chance that they might get a million. Those are the only people left to select from. This principle actually extends into telemarketing and lots of things, dumb emails that you get, spam emails. You might wonder why they're so transparently dumb. And it is actually part of a strategy. You know, these companies that want to take your money or these people, these, these wicked people that want to take your money, they're not idiots. And it, it actually is part of a strategy across the board. Yeah, and a lot of like TBN or Benny Hinn I think really is just a bunch of people who play that same kind of game. It's like how, you know, how gilded, I almost said gilded. Right. Eh, it works both ways. (laughs) How how gilded can we make everything? How absurd? How over the top? How stupid? So that only the kind of person who is dumb enough to believe us and just fork over cash is left. Benny Hen, if, if if you haven't watched him, He's covered in jewelry. He has like a ring on every finger, a big ostentatious ring. Oftentimes he'll be in front of a gold throne or (laughs) literally like a room of gold and jewels and things like that. If you go to his, uh, what do you call them? His conferences, there will be bouncers who will select people who have no observable problem to be his, the people that are healed. And if real people in wheelchairs or people with problems that Benny Hen isn't going to be able to pretend to heal get in line, they will turn them away. This is well documented. Anyone with any sense can spend five minutes on Google and find copious evidence that Benny Hen is not a healer, that he's a sham, that he's a fraud. Um, People have gone to great lengths to expose him. You don't even have to go to great lengths, though. You can go yeah. to short lengths. He, it's, it, it is, in fact, obvious. And that's that's where the idea of the Nigerian prince comes in. He's actually, again, the, the, the people that are dumb enough to fall for Benny Hen are just the people who want to fall for Benny Hinn. Right. They want to believe something like that. Now, Joel Osteen, though, is not that kind of scammer. He's actually much more sophisticated. He actually wants to take in your average, intelligent American. There's there's a scammer that goes for 
just the low hanging fruit. And then there's the scammer who, who really just tries to be as broadly appealing as possible and just kind of impossible or really difficult to nail down mm-hmm. on any one thing. I think he's actually going after your average middle American in the way that uh, somebody like Benny Hen isn't. I mean, we talked about those extremes. Benny Hen really is just only getting the poor, desperate people. Mm-hmm. I know very smart, sophisticated, and successful people who are or were members of Joel Osteen's church. And so why is that? Like, it's not as simple to look at Joel Osteen and say, he's you know, tra- he, he's not Benny Hinn. Like, it's not, you. when you look at the kind of people that are attracted to Joel Osteen, you, Benny Hinn's obvious. Who right. does Benny Hinn attract? Basically only the kind of person who just wants some kind, wants to believe in, a person who's desp- desperate for some kind of healing or yeah. catharsis or... Just a desperate person. Right. Right. But the, the kind of people that tune into Joel Osteen aren't desperate people. Right. He certainly gets those people. He gets those people, but he also gets just ordinary, successful, middle class, upper middle class, and even upper echelon people to buy into him or to or whatever. So what's going on there? How does that happen? And that's the question that we want to answer today. And that's our, 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 our little defense if anyone's wondering, well, how can you go against this after this easy target? We want to ask the question precisely because he seems like such an easy target. Joel Osteen is one of those guys with a big smile. He looks cheesy. Big hair. He, he kind of seems a little bit like, you know, the, the, what the Babylon Bee is basically saying is, hey, this is a wolf in wolf's clothing. What we want to say is, okay, I guess he's a wolf in wolf clothing, but in wolf's clothing, but then lots of smart, sophisticated, otherwise intelligent people kind of like him. So what's the deal? How does he pull that off? So that's the question we want to ask today. And let's get into a little bit of history and information about Joel Osteen in a little segment I call some history and information about Joel Osteen. (sighs) So fellas... Let's talk about the man whose website says, quote, As children of God, we are overcomers and more than conquerors, and God intends for each of us to experience the abundant life he has in store for us. Ah, uh, is it Jake? No, it would be Joel Osteen, Ben. So funny. <laughs> now, guys, let's establish some facts about Joel Osteen. Fact. <laughs> Joel Osteen is head pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. It is the largest church in America with more than 50,000 members, at least according to ChristianPost.com. has 600,000 square feet, 16,000 seats. It's in the former Compact Center where the NBA Rockets used to play. The NBA Rockets. And each week, more than 7 million viewers watch the church service on the television and various things. Now, Lakewood's television broadcast reaches over 200 million homes in the U.S. and an international audience across six continents. That's not to mention, like, podcasts, which he always has one of the top podcasts yep. on Apple Podcasts. We know, because we are we are in the field of religious <laughs> podcasts. And, and so every time we, we put something that, new up there, it's like smiling top, top cri- podcasts in Christianity. Joel Osteen. Yep. yep. I think I even want to say once or twice, it's been like, if you like... This random Warhorn Media podcast, you'll probably like Joel, Joel the Joel Osteen Hour. Yeah, it's that's usually when we when we first put something up and it hasn't established a right an audience. Once it establishes yet. an audience, then it's like you'll like the Canon uh, podcast. So yeah, that's not to mention the podcast, the Sirius XM radio broadcasts, and all the social media platforms. The the message is getting out on where you have little video snippets and whatever. He's as accessible 
as anyone has ever been. Yep. So we were interested to see what the ethnic makeup of his church was. It's a third white, a third black, and a third Hispanic. Make of that what you will. Yeah, I don't know if there's... We were interested, and there's the answer, and I'm... What's the demographic breakdown of Houston? That's an interesting question. Look it up, Ben. White, about 60%. Black, about 22 Other races, including Asians, make up about 16%. Huh. So Lakewood actually brings in more blacks and Hispanic than mm-hmm. the demographics of Houston, huh? So Lakewood spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $90 million during the fiscal year that ended in 2017. This is according to a financial statement obtained by the Houston Chronicle. And how did that break down, fellas? They spent $31.7 million on weekly services and programs. Yeah, and Night of Hope events, which is Joel's traveling show, cost $6.7 million. TV ministry, $25.1 million. General and administrative costs of that church are $11.5 million. Yeah, fundraising costs $11.9 million. And mi- <laughs> sorry, this should make me laugh. Mission and outreach, $1.2 million. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, well, I'm not even going to say anything about that, but let the listener be... They would say their weekly services and programs and night, you know, Night of Hope events are their mission and outreach. Except for the Night of Hope, you have to buy a ticket for. It's like 16 bucks or something like that. It's awesome. Pretty cheap ticket. I mean, you could get a Kid Rock <laughs> ticket uh, for about that, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> so you're not charging Hamilton prices, but still. Okay, yeah. so Osteen himself has a net worth of more than $50 million. And we should note that he doesn't accept his salary for being a past senior pastor. So they, they, you know. In the budget's $200,000 salary for Joel Osteen, and he regularly turns that down or returns it to the church. Yep. Yeah, he prefers to earn his money from speaking engagements across the U.S. and sales from his books, of which there are 14. Yes, and probably everybody knows his most famous one, his first book, Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your Full Potential, is a New York Times number one bestseller. It was on the self-help bestseller list for more than two years. Sold more than 8 million copies. I think Joel's doing okay, even though he doesn't take his salary. Yeah, so Lakewood itself takes in about $43 million a year in collections, according to the Orlando Sentinel. And viewers send in millions more by mail. Um, It's interesting to note that Osteen doesn't ask for money during any of his broadcasts. Yeah, he's actually, he'll note that for you himself, as he's done in numerous interviews. Once he told Oprah... I'm not asking them for money on television. We just feel like this is God's blessings. You know, we're big givers. We live what we preach. We've given millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And we, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a nice place to live and being blessed. I don't. Funny thing about that video is if you watch the interview, it's at Joel's house and it's in front of this giant grand piano. Uh. <laughs> it's this really ostentatious house. <laughs> and we got some stats on his house. It's a $10.5 million house. Five fireplaces, three elevators. Um, <laughs> how many elevators do you need? I don't know. Maybe the butler has his own elevator or Fifi the dog has her own elevator. So, so how did Osteen arrive at all of this stuff? Before there was Joel, there was John. Yes. Younger listeners may not remember John Osteen, but he was arguably as big a deal as Joel in his time. Um, actually, when Joel first hit the scene, I remember my dad who watched TBN, Benny Hen, all that stuff around 99, 2000. And my dad saying, I liked his dad. I liked John Osteen. We'll see how the boy does. You know, he kind of had that attitude of this is a celebrity's son. We'll see. We'll see if he's as good as the actual guy. <laughs> Some things that should not have been forgotten or lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. And John Osteen has been forgotten. 
But John Osteen founded Lakewood Church with his wife Dottie, Joel's mom, and they hosted a weekly television program together and showed it in 100 countries worldwide. And John was the author of 45 books, loads of cassette tapes. Do you remember those? Yeah, let's uh, let's hear a sample of John's preaching. You might hear some similarities with a certain someone. <laughs> Jake. <laughs> and Joel. You're Joel so Osteen. <laughs> but God doesn't say that. God doesn't do that. God doesn't send the trouble. God cares about you personally. The devil sends the trouble. God gets you out of it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. If that's true, you must be coming out of your trouble. I said you're coming out of your trouble. I said you're coming out of your trouble. I said you're coming out of your trouble. So let's turn back the wheel of time to when John Osteen founded Lakewood Church. To hear John tell it, his hero's journey was from a bum to a Southern Baptist to a charismatic. Osteen said when he was a teen, he was, quote, living for the world, end quote. But one day at age 17, he realized he had eternity to think about. So he went up in an altar call and, quote, gave Jesus Christ my heart. So that's how he became a Southern Baptist. How did he become a charismatic? Well, the year is 1958. John and his wife, Dottie, have a little girl named Lisa that year. She's born, and she has these huge health issues. Now, doctors are afraid that Lisa will never have full mobility of her limbs. They're afraid her mind won't work properly. John later wrote, quote, When our little girl was born, we thought her neck was broken. She couldn't hold up her head. She couldn't hold her arms up. She couldn't hold her legs up. She was just a little blob of quivering flesh. It was a condition, I guess, kind of like cerebral palsy. And basically the story goes, the story that they told was that John was desperate. He didn't know where to turn. He began to study all these passages from the Bible where it talks about physical healing, all the miracles of Jesus, everything like that. And of course he wants it for his daughter. And apparently he gets it. So about a year later, Lisa suddenly miraculously is a normal, healthy baby. The Osteen said it was a miracle. If you're paying attention, that brings us to 1959. And that is when John became known as a healer and an evangelist in charismatic circles. And that's when he founded Lakewood in a feed store in a bad part of town, in fact. But it didn't stay a converted feed store for long. No, it, it, so, so, so if you're paying attention, his, his daughter's born in 58. She's got this condition. Within a year, she's better. And he's telling everybody that a miracle happened. And he's becoming famous for his, his healing and his power in charismatic circles. He founds this church. It grows into an empire, right? It's the it's the empire that Joel Osteen inherited. There was this. There was a. We already talked about. They they had a television ministry. They had cassette tapes. They had books. There was a bi monthly periodical called Praise Magazine. And John ran Lakewood as a senior pastor until his death in 1999. Now the the story goes that as John was suffering on his deathbed, his son-in-law asked him, "Do you ever wonder where Jesus is when we're suffering?" And John shouted, his mercy endures forever. And those were his last words. And he died like 10 seconds later. Family told that story at the memorial service. You can watch the video on YouTube and we'll link to it in the show notes. All the men, his sons and sons-in-law, call him daddy. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, service to watch. They're, they're just, they're all telling these funny stories about him. And the big dramatic tearjerker is the story that Dottie, his wife, who's a very charismatic in the sense of in the personality sense, mm-hmm. lady gets up and tells this story of, of John's deathbed and John saying, his mercy endures forever, and then collapsing and passing into the next world. 
that moment is actually when Joel Osteen emerged from basically out of nowhere onto the public stage. Yeah, so Joel Osteen was a nobody until then. Joel later said his dad had mentored him for many years, but at the time of John's death, there wasn't a public sense of his father grooming him to take over or anything like that. He graduated in 1981 from Humble High School (laughs) in Humble, Texas. Yep. That's not like a made-up biographical (laughs) fact from some weird alternate universe. No, he he went to Humble High School in Humble, Texas. (laughs) He did. Humble's a suburb of Houston. Right. Yeah, and interestingly enough, studied broadcast communications at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So these are just all rich, (laughs) wonderful details. He studied broadcast communications at Oral Roberts, which if you don't know who Oral Roberts is, he, he was an early televangelist. But here's the other thing you need to know, which is that Osteen did not graduate from Oral Roberts. And he doesn't have a divinity degree of any kind. Yeah, when he was 19, Joel began working for Lakewood Church, but not on the pastoral staff in the television department. He was basically responsible for putting his dad's programs on the airwaves. Right. And so the story goes that the Sunday before he died, John asked Joel to preach. Joel's mom, Dottie, thought he'd be terrible. And Joel actually says that John had often asked him to preach, but Joel had just kind of dismissed the suggestion, saying he wanted to focus on the the behind-the-scenes stuff, the production. He liked to do the cameras, the editing. All that was actually his forte, and it was what he was interested in as a teenager and growing into a young man. Lakewood's ministerial leadership team did ordain Joel, I should say, in 92, but he never actually expected to assume any kind of pastoral responsibilities. But... At his dad's request, he went ahead and prepared a sermon, and he did a great job, and apparently 58 people came forward to be saved. Joel slipped into the position his dad had held. The rest is history. Oh, and Lisa, the sister we mentioned with a crippling childhood disease, she's an associate pastor at Lakewood. She has a self-help book that comes out of a divorce she went through called Six Lies That the Devil Uses to Destroy Marriages. You can find it on Amazon. We'll link to it in the... Oh, you know, maybe we won't link to that in the show notes. The book <laughs> apparently quite literally attributes marital issues to demonic influence. This episode of Sound of Sanity brought to you by Six Lies <laughs> That the Devil Uses to Destroy Marriages. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> it's the devil's fault. <laughs> yeah, the whole Osteen family is part of this. But what else do the people need to know about Joel Osteen, fellas? Well, he's married to his wife, Victoria. They have two kids, one boy and one girl. And he told Larry King in 2005 that he'd never been sexually tempted. Larry asked him if he was ever, you know, but Joel just said no. It's a pretty funny interview. Larry says, so have you ever been tempted, like sexually? And Joel says, oh, I've been tempted to, you know, eat ice cream. And, uh, you know, I experienced regular human temptations. And Larry says, no, but I mean sex like have you ever oh no no <laughs> just just that's flat really... flat denial ah! <laughs> zero sexual that's pretty, pretty yeah, creepy must, must be very nice i wonder where those kids came from <laughs> good, good. well yeah jay so in the same interview uh osteen renounces any ties with the prosperity gospel at least as he defines it which is all about money so it He says the words that he's not a prosperity preacher. Right. Right. Joel Osteen, you can actually find a lot of places where Joel says he's not a prosperity gospel preacher. Yeah, he says the gospel shouldn't be all about money. But then, here I'll quote him. But I do believe this, that God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be able to send our kids to college, excel in our careers. But prosperity to me, Larry, is not just money, it's having health. What good is money if you don't have health? See, he's a little more holistic than a, you know, prosperity <laughs> so, gospel. So he's, so he's maybe a health preacher, but not a health and wealth preacher. Now, or hear, something. To hear him tell it, he's just like he's an encourager. I don't have it in my heart to condemn people. I'm there to encourage them. I see myself more as a coach. 
It's a motivator to help them experience the life God has for us. I really, can I read these again in a Pastor Stu voice? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't have it in my heart to condemn people. I'm there to encourage them. I see myself more as a coach, as a motivator to help them experience the life God has for us. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're doing with little Ricky? Huh? <laughs> I'm done answering it, Stu. <laughs> okay, that's Joel Osteen in a nutshell. Let's end this segment with some audio from Oprah. Oh boy. Listen, listen, ladies, when you say I am beautiful, you know what you're doing? You're inviting beauty to come in. You're inviting wholeness and freshness, vitality. You know what? As you're saying that, I'm thinking, I've never said I'm beautiful. I say I'm okay. <laughs> I'm good. Let's all say that, ladies. I am Invited in. That's good. You know, the thing, Oprah, it's it's not, you know, it's not magic, but those words go out of our mouth and they come right back into our own ears. They start to change our own self-image. And this is this is not magic, but you go around saying all day, I'm blessed, I'm beautiful, I'm talented, I'm valuable, I'm creative, I'm disciplined. That's doing something on the inside of you. You know, it's affecting your own self-image. So it's I not love magic. that it's it coming back to your own comes ears. Back to your own ears. That's what you're hearing about yourself. We get that, right? What you're hearing about yourself. And that concludes whatever I called this segment about Joel Osteen. I guess it's worth saying because we didn't really encapsulate what Joel's message actually is, and that's because it's kind of hard to encapsulate. It really is just generic Norman Vincent Peale style. Norman Vincent Peale is power positive thinking, right? It is just like believe in God or believe in some nebulous force for good and good you things believe in God will happen believe you. also in yourself yeah okay here let's read some Norman Vincent Peale quotes change your thoughts and you change your world believe in yourself have faith in your abilities without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers you cannot be successful or happy and Joel Osteen just says that I mean those right. could be Osteen right. quotes he puts maybe he talks about God you know he'll and Jesus he'll put some religious sheen on it and he's better, I think, at putting religious sheen on. Yeah, you, we, we heard a clip from his dad. His dad talked about the Bible, talked about sin, did the same kind of thing. Joel's just kind of like a diet version of what his dad was, I think, in that yep. his dad was already moving in a charismatic self-help direction. Maybe he had already arrived at one, but his dad still sounded like a preacher more than he sounded like a TED Talk. Yep. Joel has mm-hmm. just taken the next step and eliminated some of the sin language. Yeah. The, yeah. But Joel will still quote, a scripture or two. And he, he has very good plausible deniability. I mean, he doesn't, you can nail him to the wall, but he's actually pretty pretty good at not being well, nailed say, to the I wall. Well, you say I don't believe the Bible or teach the Bible. I, every Sunday, I make my people stand up and say, this is my Bible. This is God's <laughs> word to me. I believe it. And whatever Man. that whole spiel is that he- Man, Right. Yeah. And that's his dad. That's 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 John Osteen. That, that sort of thing is all John Osteen's shtick. He does it by teaching them to think about, why not? Why- why not say what I'm saying? Because Jesus healed people. And that's kind of the the way he trains people to use their Bibles. Well, I think maybe what we should do is we're going to discern more about Joel Osteen and everything, but why don't we go to a little break, see what's going on in, in on the streets of old Sanityville, and we'll come right back, huh? That sounds sure. like fun. Great. And we'll talk more about this Joel Osteen fella. All right. Bye, folks. We'll be back in a minute. Excuse me, excuse me, strange weirdo in a mask. Would you like to buy some coffee for my school fundraiser? 
Sorry, kid. The last time a disturbing little boy tried to sell me something, I told him this is why I let his mother have full custody. My name isn't Disturbing Little Boy. It's uh, Disturbing Andy Jukeman. And I'm eight years old, and I live with my grandma on Easy Street. Easy Street? Huh. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, uh, there's a trailer park there uh, on Easy Street. Ironic. Almost as ironic as the cuck-servative capitalist swine making a little boy into their salesman. I guess some little piggies really do go to market. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean to be ironic. Now Sock Mom's gonna be mad. Plus, if there's one thing I've learned, it's never tell anyone your real name, kid. Uh, who taught you that? I only knew him as... Dad. Ever? And never tell anyone your name? Never. Ever. Uh, okay. Uh, my name is actually, um, uh, uh Glarby McDuffel. Nice to meet you, McDuffel. Good job. You can call me Dark. Desmond Dark. Uh, nice to meet you, Mr. Dark. Uh, why do you have on a mask? We all have on masks, kid. Uh, oh, we do? We do. And my mask is awesome. It's an actual mask. It's not like a societal mask. It's just a mask. But tell me, why are you really out here? Um, because I want to obey my teacher, Mr. Johnson, and raise money for the school trip. Didn't your grandma ever tell you a stranger could abduct you? Uh, yeah, all the time. She says, I should be so lucky. Anyway, you've got this coffee business all backwards, kid. I do? Oh no, I'm wrong. Yes, you are wrong, because you're already drinking the coffee. The coffee that our cuck-servative society pours for you. And the coffee of choice for this particular cuck-servative society is coffee. Coffee! Coffee is for weaklings. Weaklings who live their lives dependent on outside influences, outside opinions and ideas they never question. Drugs. Drugs! Now you're catching on. Adderall and Ritalin and Dexedrin and Red Bull and Pop-Tarts and caffeine! Precisely. Drugs like that. Pop-Tarts. Drugs that only weaklings use. Huh. What? What drugs do stronglings use? Prescription painkillers, mostly. They might have sprained their ankle tripping over a garden hose while wearing an awesome mask in the middle of the night and then developed the taste for sweet, sweet fentanyl. But all other drugs are for weaklings. Oh, that, that must be why Song Mom's always telling me. Andy, I don't love you and I never will. Let me be honest with you. Wow, an honest adult. You're really creepy. Number two, your real drug of choice isn't Red Bull. Um... It's... it's not? No, it's love. Um, what's... what's... what's wrong with love? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Your drug is love, plus the lying lies of the cuck-servatives. Lying lies? Yeah. What's... what's lying truth? You don't know who you are, or why you exist. Uh, yeah, that... that is true. That's why I cry alone in the bathroom. Uh... Tell me more! Alright, you can't trust this Mr. Johnson, whoever he is. Johnson's a part of the system. The system always lies. Uh, then who can I trust? I don't know! You can trust me. I mean, look at this mask. This is a mask you can trust. Grandma says we can only trust Pastor Osteen because he's on the TV and he's so smart and, and positive. Kid, I don't think you get it. I don't? 
Oh no, I don't get it. I never get it. I don't know what to do. Don't worry. I can help you. Just because you're pathetic doesn't mean I am. Wee! I'm ready for help. Sock Mom says, This better be good or else. You tell Sock Mom she's got the right attitude. Sock Mom says, And it doesn't need to tell me what you're saying. I can hear everything, moron. Uh, I think Sock Mom and I are going to get along just fine. Uh, I, I don't like Sock Mom. You need to learn some real discernment, son, about school about society, about coffee, about this Osteen, and I can help you do it. Just look very closely at this pendant. Now relax. You're getting very sleepy. Oh. Think of all the things I've just said. Now, those things are what you believe. When I count to three and say, trust no one, you wake up. One, two, three, trust no one. What? <laughs> where? Where am I? What am I doing? What is this cuckoo? Service coffee I'm selling. That's more like it. You won't be taken in by this Osteen again, or this Johnson. Now, how about buying a subscription to my newsletter, Dark Times? Here's, here's my grandma's credit card. Hmm, I'll return this in a few weeks. I'm a master of discernment. And we're back. Oh, Andy Jukeman, you are <laughs> a, discerning, <laughs> a discerning child. And Desmond Dark, one of the about one of the smartest denizens of sanity. I'm glad he's there to be a father to the fatherless. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. <laughs> Guys, what do we want to say about Joel Osteen? Because we've kind of been on two tracks here. If I can sum up what we've done, we've given some history of Joel Osteen. And we've said he's compared to the nigerian prince scammer that is like your benny hen like your your the really td jake uh some i don't know about td jakes actually i just don't know td jakes that well but compared to some of those t maybe creflo dollar yeah (laughs) (laughs) compared to some of those bad really bad obvious tbn people joel's pretty slick he maintains a lot of plausible deniability and yet he's still to anybody with any sense of god's holiness to anybody with any real scriptural knowledge what he's doing is any pretty... awakened conscience where they yeah. know that actually what they need is to deal with their sin. Right. Osteen seems pretty obviously bad. Yeah. And so we return to the question from the beginning of the episode, which is why do people like this stuff? I mean, I think the most obvious biblical answer is that people are going to have itching ears and they're going to want them to be tickled. And the Bible tells us that that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. Mm hmm. He's a master at it. He's a master ear tickler. He, yeah. he is a master. He's also, he sets up the right kind of idol, like the kind of idol that the sons of Israel had so often, where you make an idol out of God, essentially. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're going to go to church. We're going to do the things God asks. We're going to hold up the Bible as the word of God. We're going to come before the Lord and be happy. We just need a graven image This is image the temple of the Lord. Us. This is the temple of the Lord. This is, yeah. I'm even thinking without the graven image, you know? It's just like... Well, my, my mind jumped to the golden calf, but... Uh, by the way, it works. I, I mean, mean, here they are at the mountain of God. It's on fire at, <laughs> at the top. Moses is up there while God is thundering out the Ten Commandments, and they're at the bottom. What they end up doing is they end up making a, a golden calf. What, what people, I think, think is that they suddenly start worshiping some other god. What they actually do is they make an image mm-hmm. of the god on the mountain to mediate between them and the fire 
That's right. It just turns out that God is pleased to let them debauch themselves, that golden calf. And so they just twist everything up into knots. And that's the kind of thing that Christians do. I don't know that there's really all that much to say about more to say about Joel Osteen. I mean, he does just tickle people's ears. I think there's probably a lot of people, intelligent people who might even not disagree with some of this episode. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if you think about some of the smarter, more sophisticated people that that like Joel Osteen, I think one of the things that you have to realize is that everybody is looking for places where they they can just shut down mm-hmm. and be in, entertained or encouraged. And so even the sharpest and most discerning people when it comes to business deals, when it comes to engaging with people in real world situations, CEOs and CFOs of large companies that have to be super savvy, they're still looking for places where they can just shut down and shut Mm -hmm. off their discernment and just relax and be entertained or be encouraged. And it's not really a question of if you're going to be tempted to shut down. Mm -hmm. It's just where in your life is that going to be? We may be tempted, much more tempted to shut down when it comes to things like, I just want to watch Star Wars Mm -hmm. and I don't care. Right. (laughs) And I don't care that it's feminist garbage. I don't care that it's, you know, whatever it is, you know, I don't care if this Marvel movie has some debauched humor in it and some sexual, I don't care. I just want to be entertained. I am willing to shut down right here at this point. Well, for a whole lot of very smart, intelligent people, religion is a place where they're just willing to shut down. They're just willing to just go along to get along, be entertained, and be inter- and all they want is to just be encouraged. Osteen's perfect for that kind of person. I, I mean, I really do think that this is a, a large part of it. If they're completely turned on everywhere else in their life and they have to be super high-functioning, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, isn't it nice to get to feel a little religious, a little spiritual, shut down, and just have somebody whisper some encouraging words to you for the day? Yeah. To help pick you up. Well, and who yeah. wants to get in your car and go to church? I mean, I don't. I don't like to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Right. And who wants to have your conscience afflicted by the word of God? Who wants the word of God to actually cut? I mean. Yeah. If you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week mm-hmm. and then Sunday rolls around and wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be work too. Like you're going to go and lay mm-hmm. on an operating table while somebody comes at your conscience and then you're gonna have to spend a bunch of time with other people yeah you're gonna be useful to them be required to like have actual fellowship with real people and engage like man that's work Mm -hmm. who wants that yeah and and that's and we're not talking about the people out there i mean i'm talking about me here like Mm -hmm. that's my temptation you know it's like i was you know i work a lot of hours i do all kinds of stuff and then i have to go and I can't just shut down on Sunday. Like it can't just be my my day of rest is, is how I feel. You yeah, know? and by day of rest, you don't mean a day that is setting aside all the worldly stuff and focusing on the work of worship. <sighs> I can't just veg and I can't just turn be off done and with, tune out. Yeah. yeah, I can't just tune out and be done with life for a minute. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's me. And I can have not sympathy with the people who want to give themselves to a wolf like Joel Osteen, but... I can have understanding, at least. Who is our Joel Osteen, guys? Most listeners, people who listen to Sound of Sanity aren't going to be tempted to give themselves to Joel Osteen. But who, where are they going to be tempted to just shut off their discernment and... Well, well, so it is going to be Kevin Feige. It is going to be their entertainment. But it's also going to be other places, like even the podcasts that they listen to that are spiritual, Mm -hmm. that we listen to that are supposed to be godly where it's just preaching to the choir kind of stuff for a lot of our audience honestly it might be conservative 
gurus, manliness gurus. Jordan Peterson Jordan types. Peterson types. Or, and I'm not saying that there can't be helpful things within that realm. I'm just saying if what you do is give yourself to a Ben Shapiro, if what you do is give yourself to a sound of sanity, have it, and that's where you can just shut off and just let it all seep in and Yeah, because at the you. end of the day, what you're doing is you're shutting off your discernment and you're just looking to be not just entertained maybe, but validated, mm-hmm. right? And so Joel Osteen validates in you success tactics that you employ on a day-to-day basis in your job and you... You know, and you get to feel good about yourself. You get to feel validated. And you get to feel validated as a person who's, you know, weary and trying. You know, you listen to a Ben Shapiro or your conservative Christian talk, whatever it is. You've got these opinions that you hold and mm-hmm. they validate them by being awesome and hardcore and like, take that. Well, it seems, I mean, you could you could do that with even preaching that was getting to you, getting to your conscience. Teaching, well, yeah. you, 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 you can make anything a cocoon in a way to insulate yourself from loving right. people. Just, just keep going to the most cathartic conscience searing wells that you can and learn to sear your conscience there and then tell yourself mm-hmm. you're getting it. You're getting the you're getting the best of the best. Just keep reading the Puritans, but never actually apply anything that they say to your heart. Go read Jonathan Edwards until it becomes dull and then feel good about yourself mm-hmm. and never apply any of it to your heart and never change. Like there's all kinds of ways to do this with just about anything. Well, and I think a lot of people are willing to allow a form of discipline in their life from the people that they listen to, as long as it's the one that they choose. I mean, even the people that give themselves to Joel Osteen are allowing him to discipline them to be positive. And that's what they think they need. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, my, right. my con- I have decided that the place where I want my conscience to actually be moved is the place where I'm tempted to be negative, to be despairing. And so I'm going to choose a guy who tells me, I need to be positive, that I need to believe in God, that I need to have faith. In our corner of the world, there's people who, well, I just want to be told every week that I need to be a man and that women need to be women. And so I'm going to find the guy that tells me to do that. And he's just going to repeat the same things that I already know, but um, it's going to feel cathartic and it's going to feel, it's going to feel not just like I'm being massaged. It's going to be feel like, you know, I'm taking my licks, but it's yeah. the, it's the, yeah. the only but licks it's, I'm it's willing it's to just, take are the licks that I choose for myself. Yeah, it's just That's a right. certain kind of masochism. And if someone comes and says, uh-huh. hey, maybe you should be a little less rigid in the way that you apply your, your masculinity stuff, I'm going to freak out because I'm actually not prepared to actually be disciplined and tempered. I'm only prepared to be disciplined and tempered in the ways that I've selected for myself. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what I don't want is faith and discernment. What I want is... Yeah, that self-selected kind of rigidity. Control. You tell yourself what you want is to do enough so that you can live with the other things you're not willing to deal with. Right, So your your conscience is like, well, at least you took those licks, so... The alarm's not going off very often these days, but let me play devil's advocate here in a nice, not our usual devil's advocate kind of a way. Because I remember being younger and thinking... This is actually a thought that occurred to me at a certain point in my life, when in between teenage or early 20s. I need to find the people that I can blind, blindly obey. I remember actually having this thought because mm-hmm. I don't know myself well enough. I don't have discernment. I don't know how to apply the scriptures. And so there's got to be like a handful of people that actually I can intentionally say, this is the person I trust enough to turn off and to let them just form me. Well, I have a pretty similar story about a guy named Wes Feltner. You can look him up on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) AKA Pastor Stu. Well, I I suppose that's the answer then, right? There is no place where 
I can just turn off. Is that what you're saying, Jake, to my very well-played devil there? <laughs> what do you tell a guy who's like, I don't even know how to be discerning enough to begin to be discerning? Like, Well, I mean, I, I've been there too. I, it seems, I mean, it just sounds like you're talking about someone who's father hungry. Mm-hmm. Right, but, right? Well, that's right. It is tricky because there is a time and a place to just say, say to somebody that you're discipling, hey, you need to just shut up and you yeah. just need to trust me and do what I tell you to do for a while and I'll help you and I'm not going to lead you astray. Mm-hmm. And you but, you need to tell that person, look, you don't know what's good for you. I know what's good for you. And that's that might be like a, a trigger <laughs> for some listeners because you can't just do that with impunity, but Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, what you are trying to do if you're being a faithful shepherd of somebody is you are trying to cultivate in them real faith and discernment, right? But sometimes somebody is so twisted and messed up and their conscience is so twisted. They get bound up in following their conscience, but their conscience hasn't been shaped by the word of God. And so you have to help them reshape their conscience. You have to tell them, no, this is actually what the Bible says about that. I came alive to God when I was about 17 years old and I was willing to put my whole life on the table. And I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was, I started just like radically reshaping my whole life around my own perception of the Bible at that time until I found a teacher Mm -hmm. that proved to me that he knew more of the Bible than me. Right. And then it was like, all right, I'm going to sit at your feet till I learn everything I can. I'm going to trust you completely, implicitly, 100%. And, you know, and maybe I'll move on at some point, but... I suppose maybe perhaps one thing to say is that the good teachers are the ones that are taking us... It's very possible to find yourself in a period of spiritual or emotional or any kind of infancy, right? But the good teachers are the ones that are taking Moving you towards you to maturity. Towards maturity. Yep. And so there's a certain, certain kind of wicked teacher that actually wants you to, pe- to depend on them forever be like an infant who's just there to be told what to do to get their spanking if they do the bad thing and to get their treat if they do the good thing but actually even if you find yourself in a period of infancy where you lack the discernment you should be working towards discernment i mean with actual children who are in infancy we don't discipline them so that they can just learn oh eating a cookie equals before dinner equals a spanking that's not the point the point is to learn to be discerning about when to eat a cookie so that you can go through life discipline and self-control not eating Mm -hmm. cookies when you don't need to yeah Um, and that's what you know a a good parent as your kids you know move into those years of eight nine ten eleven twelve teenage years mm -hmm. you know at a certain point it should be less dictation don't do this don't do that yes, do this, no, do that, and more, hey, you need to really think about what you're doing and why you're doing it here. Right. You need to be able to say no to yourself. I've been saying no to you for a long time, but the goal is for you to understand where you need to say no to yourself. It's for you to not have to have me be the one who holds your hand, but for you to begin to really face down your own sin, deal with your own sin, say no to your sin. Which is to say, like, that's your relationship with God. Like, you want your son to have his own relationship with God. That's right. Not just the one that you help him have or give to him. Yeah. Well, so to take it back to my original question, if there's somebody that's listening that does feel like a spiritual infant, they do need to give, it's, it's fine for them to give themselves to teachers. And what, the way you do that is you go to a church and you find a church that loves the Bible and loves yep. Jesus and practices the... 
The four devotions, right? What are, what are the four devotions? Preaching mm-hmm. of the apostles, the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's table, fellowship, and prayer, which is the corporate worship of the people of God. So you start there. Then, then when you, you do that, you'll you'll ha- find that you have mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in the faith that can help and encourage you, help you to understand what is right, what is wrong. They feed you the word, and they move you from milk to meat. And and sometimes you'll find, like Jake, that the person that you started with you started with is somebody that you need to uh, grow past, shall we say, huh. run from, run from. In, in Jake's case, sometimes you'll simply find like yeah. So this guy. I mean, let me just tell this story for half a minute. This guy was the most compelling, charismatic person, one of the the most compelling, charismatic people I've ever met in my life. And he was just a youth pastor at the time, 24, 25 years old. And this youth group was blowing up. And he was opening up the Bible and giving us Reformed doctrine. And he was, you know, encouraging us to read, you know, John Piper and Jonathan Edwards and the Puritans and stuff like that. Everybody was growing and reading crazy things and whatever, but also look him up online and read a little bit about him. Yeah. He was doing some bad stuff. So they say. So the, allegedly. 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 Please don't sue us, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, come on. You know, and I stayed in a circle for a long time after stuff sort of came out and that's a story that I can tell maybe someday but well but um, the thing that I think is great about that story is that God did bless your desire to follow him faithfully using this wicked man well yeah God God used this man to set me on a trajectory and bring me to a place where I had the discernment to for our our friendship to be completely over with mm-hmm. and to move into uh into mature and the part of the way that he did that so when I, when I was talking to a couple of these girls from back, so I'd, I'd been a believer for a couple of months. I started coming to this youth group. Not even a year goes by before things blow up. But I'm already set on this path of Reformed theology, John Piper, Jonathan Edwards, the Puritans, all this stuff. What happens at the church happens. I don't know the story of the girls. I know the story I'm told by the senior pastor who encourages me to maintain my relationship with Wes, which I do. I'm up at college, I'm growing, and then I come, about the time that I come to the church that we're at now, and start to really see what does healthy authority look like in a local church, what does healthy discipline look like, what does healthy, what are healthy families actually like, you know, what is biblical sexuality, all the, you know, this sort of stuff. That That's a big part of me just recognizing everything that's bad. It's a detox kind of thing. That's what God does, and that's what the church can do for you. And, yeah, some people, you know, I had a college student that went to Lakewood, Mm -hmm. and then she came to college at IU. She had to have her points where she was pushed into maturity. Right. But let's not be so afraid to be taken advantage of by the Wes Feltners and the Joel Osteens, that we don't take those first steps that we can then mature out of, you know? I mean, the Mm -hmm. journey of a thousand miles does begin with a single step. So if you're somebody yep. out there that doesn't have discernment, try something, find somewhere. You want it to be biblical. You want it to love Jesus. You want it to practice the four devotions. That's a good starting place. Find a church that believes and teaches the Bible. Right. And, and, and then you can start growing in discernment. And that's, that's and a And in usefulness in the, in, in the church and in the body of Christ so that you're not just taking your giving. What does it say about discernment? So that by practice, you may 
discern what is good and evil. Yeah. Like you're, you're supposed to practice. practice. There's, there's a reason we have a book of Proverbs. There's a reason we have multiple wisdom books in our Bible, not because these things are obvious and come without thinking and are just common sense, but because you have to train yourself in them. And that takes work and it takes diligence and it takes effort. So the passage in Hebrews, the classic one on this, that is just worth burning into your brain is the milk and meat passage, which what you might not have paid attention to is how it ends. So Hebrews chapter five, starting in verse 12, for though you, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So how do you grow in discernment? How do you mature into solid food? It's just a function of constant practice. Mm -hmm. You can't passively grow in discernment. You have to be constantly practicing to distinguish good from evil. Right. And that means going to church means reading your Bible. It means deciding this is good. This is bad. Finding out whether you were right. Allowing other people to challenge you and right. show you where you're wrong. And a guy like Joel Osteen just wants to give you milk. And that's why and he's And if he bad. keeps you on milk, he keeps you a child. And children are easily deceived. And if those children happen to be adults, they can be very profitable. <laughs> uh, and speaking of profitable, I think this episode was profitable. And I thank our listeners for listening. It's right there in the name. It's what they do. Thanks, listeners. <laughs> what a dumb ending <laughs> for a good episode. That's awesome. <laughs> Set of Sanity Today, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Till next time. Be well. <laughs> Gross. <laughs>